Bibles, if I can say that, right? It's good to see you today. Now, my New Year's resolution was not to walk up the stairs today and pass out. So I'm going to stay down here today and uh, see if we can make it through the whole service uh, upright. Does that sound like a good plan? All right. Good, 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 good. Well, I don't know if you realize this or not, but there is a section in uh, most bookstores, if not all bookstores, called the self-help section. How many of you have seen that section? Self-help book industry is a 14 to $15 billion per year industry. That is a lot of money that people spend on self-help books. I started looking at these sections years and years ago as a new Christian and just used to. In fact, they, they had the self-help section right next to the religion section, and the Christianity section was kind of interspersed therein. And there's always a mix of stuff there in all of those sections. Most of it was not good. In fact, um, I'm not sure who said it, but someone even said that all Christian bookstores should have a warning label on the front door that says uh, everything herein may or may not be Christian. And that's true of the self-help section especially. I don't think most of the self-help kind of stuff claims to even be Christian, but there is a lot of stuff therein. There's just not a better word than that. There's a lot of stuff, and most of it would not warrant any attention. In fact, most of the self-help books, and there are, again, uh, 14 to $15 billion industry, so there are thousands and thousands of books. Most of them can be uh, boiled down to, in fact, you take a, uh, just any sampling therein and open it up and give it a quick read, you'll see that basically it's, you can do this, right? Um, you're good enough, you need to love yourself more, and it doesn't really matter what other people think. That's basically the premise of every self-help book. And there may be, you know, some minutia of truth in some of those statements, not all of them for sure. But ultimately, those self-help books cannot really help any self. They're just not made to do so. They start with the wrong premise, and they have a wrong goal, a wrong goal. But there was something else in fact, it took some kindergartners to kind of take it up a notch and to begin to do something about what they identified, and, and with a little help from their teacher, they identified as people having problems of sadness, which we might call depression, right? Uh, they were mean, had mean faces all the time, which we would call anger, and a, a number of other issues that they began to recognize from their homes and their friends and the circles that they ran in. And so the teacher encouraged these kindergartners now to help be a positive influence for change for these people who were needing some help. Now, you may be thinking, okay, this is fixing to turn to God, and it, it, it doesn't. But it does turn to a much better place, mostly, than all of these self-help books. There was something that the teacher, in fact, her little child, uh, toddler, had called. She was trying to give him a pep talk one day. How many of you have had pep talks from your, your coaches or your parents, right, to help you do the right things? Okay, pep talk. Well, he couldn't say pep talk. He, he kind of pieced it all together, and it was pep talk, pep talk, like T-O-C. And so when she told her kindergartner class about the pep talk, from her little toddler, they liked the sound of that because it reminded them of a social media craze called TikTok. That's right. And so pep talk became this new way of helping people who needed a friend, 
This was some of the stuff that they had. Now, they have this hotline, the Pep Talk hotline, and it's a real number you can call. If you want the number, I'll give it to you, all right? It's a 707 area code, so uh, it may cost you something if you call from a landline, right? But they decided, and this is from uh, Heldsburg, California, Westside Elementary School. And so they created this thing called the Pep Talk hotline, and here's some of the advice that you can get from the Pep Talk hotline. All right, you ready? Now, this, this stuff's great. It says, if you're frustrated, you can always go to your bedroom and punch a pillow or cry on it. Now, how many of you have ever done that? Either of those things. Yeah, that's pretty good advice, right? I've been there. Uh, Another declares, if you're nervous, go get your wallet and spend it on ice cream and shoes. All right? I'm guilty of the ice cream part also. Okay, that's good stuff. And that's good advice. All right, so uh, let's see. Another one, you follow this prompt for callers who seek words of encouragement and life advice, all right? So one child offers, if you're feeling high and unbalanced, now I had to stop and laugh. I'm sorry, hang on. If you're feeling high and unbalanced, <laughs> I'm sorry, I just can't even get it out. If you're feeling high and unbalanced, think about groundhogs. Sorry, that's just great advice. All right. Now, I liked that one a lot more than some of y'all did, apparently. But if you're, if you're feeling high and unbalanced, that's good RU advice, right? So, so next Friday, all right, that's what you need to lead with, okay? If you're feeling high and unbalanced, think about groundhogs. That'll help you out. Okay, anyway. So there's another option that there's a five-second loop of nothing but children's laughter. And I don't know about you, but that's pretty helpful. I mean, that's good stuff, absolutely. Um, but the most uplifting option is for callers who are seeking a pep talk from kindergartners. So you can call like press one if you're angry or mad, press two if you're sad and depressed, and then it finally gets down, I think it's five, press five if you just need a good pep talk from kindergartners. And that's been the most uh, predominantly hit option that there is. And so so the, 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 the most popular recording is all these high-pitched, crackly little voices of kindergartners all cheering in unison. You can do it. Keep trying and don't give up. All right. So that is basically every self-help book just kind of condensed down from the minds of kindergartners. Now, I think those things are funny and they probably are helpful to some degree, but I want to share a few things today uh, with you guys And think of this as kind of a pep talk, I guess, from Scripture, if you would. And this is a pep talk from the Word of God. And there's just four things I want to share with us very quickly. And these are, these are, uh, we're going we're gonna to do a little Bible aerobics today. I don't normally do this, but I thought today would be fitting. It's the first day of a new year, and I know a lot of times we make all these resolutions. We're going to lose weight. We're going to exercise. We're going to eat better and all these things, and it, it lasts a couple days, you know, maybe a little bit longer if you're really committed. Um, but I, I don't want us to focus on all of those things. I don't even want you to make a goal that you'll read the whole Bible through in a year. I shared a post about this recently on our, on our website, but I, I would like us to just to focus on a few other things and then from these focal points to then decide what we're going to pray about this year for ourselves. Does that sound, sound doable for us? So I want you to, to, to listen up. There's four things and I'd invite you to, to turn if you can uh, to 1 John chapter 4. We're going to start here, 1 John chapter 4. And I know this past year has been rough for some of you, some of us. And this year, we have no idea what it's going to bring. But no matter what this year may bring, these foundational truths, I think, will be helpful for all of us. So me, myself, and I included. So no matter what this year may bring, God's love for us is unchanging in Christ. Amen? And I hope that you know that. And not just here level, but here level. In your heart, in your soul, to the bottom of your feet. Amen? 
God loves me. No matter what happens this year, God has set His affection upon His people. 1 John 4.10 says, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So what has God done for us? God has sent Jesus Christ to pay the ultimate price for us. That's worthy of some attention. Amen? That's worthy of a buck two thirty eight or even more. That's, that's, a, that's a, just an insurmountable price tag that's been placed upon that event. Jesus Christ gave Himself for us. The Father gave His Son for us to be the propitiation. That's a fun word. We talk about it fairly often. What does propitiation mean? It means that God sent Jesus to be the divine satisfaction for the penalty of sin. So what the Father did was give of Himself. He gave His Son to pay the price for our sin, the propitiation. He had to be appeased, if you will. Holy God demands justice. Holy God demands um, that a price be paid. And so since the Holy God is also the gracious, merciful, loving God, He pays the price for us. And He becomes the fulfillment, the price tag that must be given. 1 John 4, 16, just a little bit further down, we see, We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. He is love. He himself is love, and he has given of himself for us. We see this again in Romans chapter 8, where the apostle Paul in verse 32 uh, begins to talk here about the love of God. He tells us that he who did not spare his own son, Romans 8:32, he who did not spare his own son but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? God loves us. This is something for us to ponder and to think about. Wretched as we are, amen. Unworthy as we as we are in ourselves, in our sinfulness. God loves us. He set His affection upon us. And, and He goes on to tell us, beginning at verse 35 of Romans 8, 35 through 39, a familiar passage. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Then He begins to list all of these great things. Well, tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. Just as it is written, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Quoting from the Old Testament here. Then he goes on. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Through Jesus Christ, the one who gave himself for us. Verse 38. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Are you convinced of that today? Nothing can separate us from the love of God. He has paid the ultimate price to make sure that we understand this great love. And so no matter what this year brings, God's love for us is real. It is solid. It is steadfast. In fact, John 15, 13 says that greater love has no one than this, than one lays down his life for his friends. Christ laid down his life for us, beloved. This is what he's done for us. He has given of himself. So, we may say this, some of you would ask, but what if I fall into sin? God gave himself for me, but I still stumble and I still fall and I still sin. How can he possibly love me? And you may be tempted to run to the self-help section of Barnes & Noble and try to figure out why this might be so. But you need to look no further than Romans 5.8, beloved. God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. 
He died for you and me, Christian, while we were his enemy, while we were so far removed from him. There was nothing good in us. We were lost and steeped in sin from birth, and he chose to be the propitiation for us. How could he not but love us now when we stumble into sin? He doesn't remove his love for us, from us the way we are tempted to remove our love from others when they wrong us. God's love is unchanging. It is steadfast and it is sure. We need to remember that this year. Amen? So Christ loved us while we were lost in our sin. And so no matter what this year may bring, God's love for us is still there unchanging. Secondly, no matter what this year may bring, God's purpose for me doesn't change. It's Christ-likeness. No matter what happens this year, God wants the same thing for us as He did last year and the year before. He wants us to be like Jesus. And so, how about this for a New Year's resolution? Lord, with your help, I will strive this year to be more like Jesus. And all God's people say, isn't that a worthy goal? It's a scriptural goal. Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 29. Again, a familiar passage. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Sometimes we misread that and we say that God makes all these good things happen to us. But that's not what it says, is it? He uses all things for our good. To those who are called according to His purpose. Verse 29, for those whom He foreknew. And this is going to expand in on that purpose I think we get lost here sometimes when we start talking about foreknowledge and predestination. And we get, we get bogged down in those words and, and, uh, and you know, what system of Christianity we should fall into because of these words. But that's not the point of these words. The point of these words comes from verse 28. That God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. Folks, can I just summarize what predestination means just very briefly? Without having to consult um, a myriad of different commentaries and, and different works of theology, when you see the word predestination, it's not mystical, it's not magical, okay? It's not otherly. It's a word that speaks towards a goal. It's always being predestined to something. The ideal is not that just God predestines these things kind of out of nowhere. He has a purpose and a goal in mind. And you and I have been predestined to godliness in Christ Jesus. That's the goal of predestination. It has nothing to do necessarily at the bottom line with election. It really doesn't. You don't have to marry all those words together. This ideal of predestination obviously is for His people, yes. But just take the word of how it's used in Scripture. It means towards a purpose. God has predestined you to an end. His purpose for you. His purpose for me. Well, what is the will of God for our lives? It's Christ-likeness. Well, I need to know more specifically than that. I need to know who to marry, in case you're single, right? I need to know what job to take, as, you know, in case you have like a couple options. Can I just tell you that you can be Christ-like in any of those situations? Our, our purpose doesn't change no matter what job we take, no matter where we may go to school, to college, no matter who we're married to, we can still be Christ-like. Amen? That's God's great goal and purpose for every single one of us in Christ. It's our great purpose as a church also. We see that in Colossians 1.28. Looked at this uh, several months back. This is, I guess, you could call it our, our theme verse, if you will. Colossians 1.28. 
We proclaim Him, meaning Christ, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. Now, man is generic. Amen? That means mankind. So men, women, boys and girls, our goal, our purpose as a church is Christ-likeness for you, for me. That's the purpose. It's not to have our best life now. It's not to win friends and influence people. I mean, those things are okay, I guess, on some level. But the ultimate goal is Christ-likeness. And God will use promotions. He'll use sickness. He'll use health. He'll use poverty. He'll use wealth. He'll use marriage. God can even use the pain of divorce, as damaging as that is. God can use all of those things to make us more like Jesus. That's His great purpose for us. To make us more like Jesus. To be complete in Christ. Everything is useful in making us more like Jesus. Amen? Passing out during the Lord's Supper. Had to think about it this past week. How does that make us more like Jesus? Well, it teaches us humility. (laughs) Amen? It doesn't matter what it is. God can use all of those things to make us more dependent upon Christ. And make us more like Him. And you may be um, three... You may be 90 today or yesterday or a couple days ago. Amen. It doesn't matter where we might fall in that spectrum. The goal is that we would be like Jesus. Ephesians 4 verse 11 through 13. Speaking of the purpose of the church still. And the reason God established the church the way he did. It says verse 11. That he God gave some as apostles and some as prophets. And some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. For the equipping of the saints. For the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. So it's about building up the body of Christ. What does that mean? Verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man. To the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. How many of us here have attained to the unity of the faith? Anybody? To the knowledge, the full knowledge of the Son of God? Do you know everything about Jesus that there is to know? I don't. How many of us have become mature men? Easy, guys. That means different things maybe, right, to some of us. But um, I, I, I confess, I got a, a Lego set for Christmas. Um, that doesn't really speak to maturity so much, does it? Right? I, I wish I could say it was one of those great, like, engineering kind of Lego sets. But it wasn't anything that glamorous. It was a Seinfeld Lego set. Uh, it's like the apartment. It's, it's great. I'm about halfway through. It's really fun. That doesn't really scream maturity, though, does it? doesn't. We all have a ways to go. And that's not really what I'm speaking of. I mean, spiritual maturity, obviously. But we haven't arrived yet. We're still breathing. And as we breathe, as we live, as we move, we're still becoming more and more like Jesus. Amen? I've had people in the past say that they're, they're mature in Christ. There's nothing else for them to do. And it just, I mean, it, it warrants a few different responses. And none of them were good, the initial responses that I had. Slap them, punch them, right? You know, um, Say some things to them that wouldn't be for their edification, obviously. But, but, but folks, we're all on this, on this journey still. None of us have arrived yet. If we're still breathing, we're still maturing and still learning and growing. And, and these things that we see here. I have still not attained to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. That will happen in glory when we see Jesus face to face. But while we're here, what do we do? We keep striving for that goal. Amen? We don't stop. We don't ever arrive. We don't think, well, I've read the Bible enough today. I've read the Bible enough this week. I've read the Bible enough this year. As if reading through the Bible in a year is the goal. And once we do it, we close it and we're done. That's not the goal. It's transformation and Christ-likeness. Amen? 
every single day. So no matter what this year may bring, that is something that we are to strive to. The purpose that God has for us. And he has a purpose for me. He has a purpose for you. And it is to be like Jesus. Which brings us to the third thing. No matter what this year may bring, God's word for me is not just the right answer, but it's the final right answer. I mean, it's the ultimate answer. It's the final right answer. We see this in 2 Timothy 3. And next Sunday, um, Brother Pete's going to be back in 2 Timothy chapter 3 preaching. Uh, next Sunday, you're going to be blessed. Uh, I've had the, the privilege of, of hearing this already from him. And, and uh, uh, he'll, he'll, he'll do what a lot of the guys do. They'll send me stuff to kind of look over and review. And, and I mean, it's just, I just amen. It's just great. It's great. I'm uh, very excited to be here and hear that next Sunday. So I hope that you will be here next Sunday when Brother Pete brings this message out of 2 Timothy 3 again. But verse 15 through 17, just a, a quick reminder from these verses. It says that from childhood, as Paul was talking to this young child of his, his son in the faith, not his biological son, but a son in the faith, he says that from childhood you have known, Timothy, the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Is there anything more that we could wish for our kids? Is there anything more? That they would know this very thing? The sacred writings, how they're able to give them the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And he says, again, all scripture is inspired by God. It means it's theonostos. It's God-breathed. And it's profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. The word adequate in English doesn't really carry the umph. It's the word artios. It means thoroughly equipped. So you want to be adequate for every task, meaning you're thoroughly equipped for every task. That's what God's Word does for us. It's the final right answer to all of life's great ills and ills. Amen? But how many of our Bibles collect dust? How many of us warn our Scripture reading to just the verse of the day that pops up on the app on our phones when we get up in the morning? If we really believe that this is God's final word for us and the final right answer for all of uh, that life brings us, then shouldn't we be in it more and more and more? Amen? Shouldn't we be in it for ourselves and corporately together when the church meets together? Amen? Both of those things are necessary for us. Hebrews 4.12 tells us why. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of the soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. What do we know about our hearts? Our heart is wicked beyond all things. Amen. Who can understand it? I'll tell you who. God. God can understand it. And His Word has given us everything we know for life and godliness. And it has the answer to everything that ails and troubles these wicked hearts of ours. We need a heart, um, a heartectomy. Is that the right way to say that? We need a, a heart replacement. We need what Ezekiel talks about. We need to take this heart of stone. We need to let God take this heart of stone and take it out and give us a heart of flesh, a heart that beats for God. That's what we all need, Amen. That's what our neighbors need, even when they decide to pop fireworks until midnight and then stop for three hours, and you think, victory, and then they start up again at 3 a.m. I hope you're listening. <laughs> yeah. We need to pray for them. We need to share the gospel with them. They need Jesus. The world needs to see transformed hearts in us. Amen? Yeah, I'm not bitter at all. Well, a little bit, maybe. It's mostly just tiredness, okay? I promise. It's mostly just tiredness. But, oh... Oh, goodness gracious. Starting back at 3 a.m. Oh, 
have mercy. Back to 1 John chapter 5, verse 3. We see that this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. Now, folks, we know that according to Paul in the book of Romans, the law shows us our absolute necessity of grace. Amen? That we're unable to perfectly keep the law. And even if we were able to perfectly keep the law from this day forward, we still have to count for all of the days that have gone by when we were not able to keep the law perfectly. We need grace and love from God. Absolutely. 100%. Amen? And so we have to realize, we have to realize that this great God of ours not only desires and commands that we obey Him, but He enables us through His Word and His mercy and grace to do so through Christ Jesus. But we wouldn't know that. And we wouldn't know where to begin if we were not in this Word. Amen? We have to be in this Word. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 tell us, as we see that His divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge, the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. For by these He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. What has He given us? The true knowledge of God in this Word. We have everything we need to know God and to obey God and to live righteous lives before God. Amen? It's not a mystery. There's not a second blessing or a third blessing that we're waiting on. We've been blessed thousands and thousands of times in ways we don't even realize that we've received blessings from God. He gives us life. How many of you woke up this morning? Okay, most, most of you. There's a few of you that I'm not so sure about, right? You were up late with the firecrackers too, obviously, right? But if you woke up this morning, that's a blessing from God, amen? That's a, that's a whatever umpteenth million blessing. However many days that we've lived, that in and of itself is a blessing from God. How many of you are breathing? Again, most of us here, right? How many of you consciously make yourself take breaths? Usually you don't. Usually you don't. Now, occasionally you do. I've been suffering a little bit of like, this air hunger kind of thing. It's part of this Lyme stuff. And, and uh, as this has kind of been taking a little downward turn here, but fi I find myself kind of just intentionally gasping occasionally. Okay? That's kind of normal with this kind of scenario. But ordinarily, that's just not something we think about. We just breathe. Amen? How many of you got up today and made your blood start pumping? Uh, you did? All right. But most of us can't do that, can we? Only kids can do that up to a certain age. Yeah. No, we can't do that. That's a blessing from God. How many of you made your heart start beating this morning to make the blood pump? Another blessing from God. Another blessing from God. How many of you, when it's bright outside, make yourself blink? You realize there's a reflux. Reflux? No, no. A reflex, right? That makes your eyes squint when there's something too bright. When something gets near your eye, how many of you make yourself blink to protect your eyeball? It just happens, doesn't it? We were designed by the perfect designer to live, to know Him. He does all of these things for us. All of these things are just, just pictures of the grace that He gives us freely every single day. This is what God has done for us. This is what He's done for us. And so we see the fourth thing here. The fourth thing. No matter what this year may bring, God's grace for me is sufficient. And I got to tell you, I'm grateful for all of these, but this one really hits home. God's grace for me is sufficient. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. 
2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. He has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. This is the Apostle Paul talking about his weakness, about this thorn in the flesh. What was it? We don't know. <laughs> right, we don't know. There's all sorts of speculation, but ultimately he doesn't describe or define what this thorn in the flesh is. But he wanted it gone, and God tells him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. How many of you would say that you enjoy God's power being perfected in your weakness. That's hard to, that's kind of hard to say, isn't it? Because truth be known, we, we like to be strong, don't we? We like to do things ourselves, especially as guys. But some of you women aren't exempt from this either, right? We like to fix things ourselves. It's hard to ask for help, right? But he says, my grace is sufficient. My power, says God, is perfected in weakness, most gladly, therefore, Paul goes on to say, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. This hits home so, so mm, intimately for me. I will rather boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Parents, how many of your kids need to see you weak? And frail and dependent upon God. You know what the answer is? All of them. All of them. Husbands, how many of our wives need to see us weak and dependent upon God and frail? I mean, yeah, we got to be strong. We got to be the provider and the protector, yes, but we also need to be real. We're not perfect. We're not invincible. We're not invincible. I've probably shared this story with you. Uh, this this holiday season, my one of my cousins, his name's Todd. I, I think I've told you about his brother David a lot, and I may have shared this story years ago about Todd. But Todd's David's younger brother. David and I are the same age, okay, and uh, he's a month younger than I am. And then we had uh, his younger brother Todd, and then our another cousin Lance, and they were few years younger than we were and we would always play and and David and I being the oldest of this age bracket now my brother and sister were obviously older but uh, uh we would always pick on these younger two cousins and then one one year they like grew up I mean Todd's a police officer in Las Vegas he's massive I mean just big old guy I would never pick on him like that again hello Todd hey you're my favorite cousin today all right but but when Todd was younger we used to we could talk him into doing all kinds of things and so we convinced him that he was invincible that he was actually Superman. And he's like, no, no, Superman's on TV. He's in this coming up. We were like, Todd, you are Superman. And I had this old ratty treehouse in the yard. It had been long gone, you know, from its state of, you know, prestige and, and glory. It was very dilapidated. But we convinced him to climb to the top of that treehouse and then just do the Superman out the side of the treehouse. And he did it. Yeah. And he got hurt. But I promise you, it was nothing like the beating that David and I got from my father. We were hurt after that. But we convinced him that he was invincible. Now, he learned very quickly, the hard way, obviously. Hard way when he hit the ground. I'm sorry, I still laugh about it. It's not funny. It's not funny. Stop laughing. But he learned very quickly that he was not invincible. He was, he was hurt. I mean, we used to do crazy things. I used, to, I used to scale the sides of buildings with ninja claws and grappling hooks when I was a teenager. I'm not encouraging any of you to do that, teenagers or adults, mind you. But we would do, I mean, scaling two and three-story buildings without a worry or a care about what would happen if we fail. Just had no concept of being hurt. But we are a frail people. 
life is very fragile. We need to realize that. Amen? But God's grace is perfected in our frailty, in our weakness. So, rather than bragging on our accomplishments, maybe it's time we turn this around. Amen? And start bragging on God in the midst of our weaknesses. When something doesn't go our way, praise God. He's going to teach me something through this. When I get hurt again, thank you, God, you're trying to do something. And what is that? You're trying to make me more like Jesus. Amen? And His grace is sufficient. It will get us through. Hebrews 4, verses 15 and 16. Hebrews 4, verses 14, excuse me, 15 and 16. Say this, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. His grace is sufficient. He understands the things that we're going through. He's been tempted in every category of temptation. He didn't have to worry about what he looked at on the internet because there was no internet, all right? So I understand that there's some nuances here. But every category of temptation, Jesus dealt with. And he was victorious. And we can go to him because he understands. Amen? Amen? His grace is enough even in our temptation. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Tell us this, and this is probably going to be our Christmas uh, text for next, next year, so you're getting a preview here early. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Can you and I live lives that are worthy unto Jesus Christ? Can we actually live up to the name of Christian? The answer is, according to this verse, yes. Why? Because the grace of God has enabled us to do so. The grace of God has enabled us to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age. So here's another idea. How about as a resolution of what we're going to do for this new year? Today's the first, by the way. I guess we missed our official New Year's resolution time frame. But, um, wait, this just in. Yes, I have it on good authority that you can still make these resolutions today. All right? So, so don't fear. You can still make these resolutions today. So here's another one that may be worthwhile. Lord, help me this year in 2023, day by day, to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age. It's a pretty worthwhile goal. Amen? Psalm 116 verse 5 says, Gracious is Yahweh and righteous. Yes, our God is compassionate. Folks, no matter what this year may bring us, it's all been filtered through the sovereign hand and the watchful eye of the Lord God. So there's no reason to fear. There's no reason to be dismayed. Amen? Thinking back, the first, very first Bible verse I memorized, Isaiah 41, verse 10. So do not fear, for I'm with you. Do not be dismayed from your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That's God's promise to His people. Amen? So, no matter what this year may bring, we can rest assured that God is for us. We can do it. Right? This is going to be our best year now. No, I don't know about that part. But we can do it, and God is for us. His love is unchanging. His purpose is Christ-likeness. His word is the final right answer, and His grace is sufficient. These promises are only true for those of us who know Jesus. So do you know Jesus today? Do you know Jesus? Hey, neighbors, if you're watching, do you know Jesus at 3 a.m.? 
we have to know Jesus or this stuff is null and void. We only know Jesus by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. So I'm going to invite you to pray with me right now. And let's pray that we will have our feet firmly planted in God, in Christ Jesus, in His Word, by the power of His Spirit in us this year. So Father, oh Lord, may we continue this year to explore the excellencies of Christ Jesus our Lord. The fullness that is to be found only in Christ. The satisfaction that comes only in Christ Jesus our Lord. The worth that we find in His graces. The mystery of the gospel. How it's not just to save us, but the gospel is still working in us. God, this year, may we refamiliarize ourselves with the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. May we understand the sweetness of communion with our Lord Jesus Christ this year in a way that is richer and fuller than we have previously. May we know the fullness of the righteousness that is ours in Christ Jesus. And Lord, all these things, in all these things, may we adore Him more and more day by day, admiring Him for who He is, not just what He does for us, but but simply for who He is. Christ Jesus, our Lord, our provider, our healer. Father, may these things be increasingly true of us. And we pray as your church, O oh God, that you make us holy this year. That you use and waste nothing, Lord God. That you use everything that comes our way to make us more like Jesus. To bring us to a full understanding of, of your love. Of the sufficiency of your scriptures to us. And of the grace that you bless us with, Lord God. In ways that we can't even fathom. We pray these things, O oh God, for your glory, for your namesake. We ask it in Christ Jesus' holy name. All God's people say, Amen. Amen.